I'm going to start with a story I've used before, in case you say, I think I've heard that one. Uh, it's one of my trail stories, and it just fit the sermon, so I had to use it. It was one of those times when I had uh, walked uh, well one day, uh, rested that night, got up to leave the next morning. On the day before that morning, I had had a good walk. The trail was well marked. Uh, it was a nice day. The next morning, got up, started out. Uh, began a long uphill journey. It was just uphill. It seems to always be uphill first thing in the day. And going up the hill, <clears throat> I felt confident as I made my way. Oh, about half hour into the walk, I began to notice I wasn't seeing the markings on the trail that I was so used to seeing. Had seen plenty of them the day before. And in fact, I began to notice what I did see didn't look so much white as it looked kind of like a dingy gray, which concerned me. It had been bright white, you know, just a little while ago. And I began to walk some more, and about uh, three, two hours into the walking, I realized that I should be coming up on a place where there's water, and that'll be the way I know I'm on the right place. Well, two and a half hours went by, and I had not reached it yet. I stopped, pulled out my map. <clears throat> Here I am on a pretty high area. Look out over the valley, look at my map, and I see uh, the river. The James River is down below me. I can see my map. I can see the trail. I can see where I think I am, and yet I don't see the water. So I sit there, and I think about it, and I think about it, and I talk myself into believing I've gone the wrong way. I doubted what I've done. So I turned around and said, maybe I missed a turn, and I walked back down for almost an hour. In sight of where I started, I knew I had gone the right way. So I turned around, of course, <clears throat> wanting to kick myself all the way back up the mountain. And only a two curves around from where I stopped, I found the water. You know the way it goes, you know? But, you know, doubt comes in a lot of forms. And self-doubt is one of those that bothers me. And in the scriptures, you even find doubting. Doubting is found among Jesus' disciples. I thought it important that just before Jesus gives the great commission at the end of Matthew, you know, for us to go into all the world, uh, baptizing and teaching, you know, and leading others to him, just before that, it says, and some doubted. I wanted to read it because I, I wanted to know there's room for us when we've doubted. And yet there's also a knowledge that something needs to happen to help us be clear in our faith. But walking with God may not always seem to be as clear. Doubt is not so much an intellectual uh, debate as, as much as it is struggling to find some kind of proof or certainty in what we believe. Doubt does affect what God can do in our faith and in our lives together. The examples where Jesus uh, says to Peter, who has now begun to sink, although he walked to him on the water, he said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? You were doing well until that moment, till you turned and looked at the wind and you began to take your eyes off of me and you saw yourself doing the impossible and you couldn't believe it anymore and you began to sink. Why did you doubt? And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, Truly I tell you, if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and if you do not doubt in your heart, but believe what you say, it will come to pass. Now that's not, by the way, one of these uh, simply name it and claim it 
plans that people pull out of the scripture, but it deals with the issue of our doubt and believing God is with us. It says of Jesus when he was in the town, his hometown of Nazareth, Jesus said, prophets are not without honor except in their hometown among those of kin in their own house. He could not do any power there except he laid his hands on a few who were sick and cured them. And he was amazed at their unbelief, their doubting. From the failure of Jesus' followers is where we again often define our doubt. When his own belief, people who follow him are not clear in their faith, how can people know that Jesus is real? The man said to Jesus, I brought my son to your disciples. They were unable to help him and he cannot speak. He is seized and he dashed him to the ground. The spirit does. He foams in the mouth. I asked your disciples to cast him out and they could not do it. And Jesus asked, if you have faith, And only believe. And the man said, I believe, but help my unbelief. Help me even in my doubting. Sometimes it is we who make people doubt. If our faith is not clear, if we live confused in the way we follow him, others become confused as well. Maybe because we do not see ourselves being used. If we see for ourselves, we begin to doubt. The second story is about Thomas. We sometimes call him the doubting disciple. But you have to know that what Thomas asked for is exactly what the disciples all had seen. He didn't ask for more than them. He simply wanted to see and experience what they had already seen for themselves. If he could do that, he said, then I'm going to believe. Let me touch the nails prints in your hand. Let me touch your side and then I'll believe. And one of my favorite forms of children's artwork is when they have connected dots. You've seen that, haven't you? And he, you know, a, picture, a page of pictures with numbered dots. And there may be a few things added to it, maybe an eye or some other feature like feet or a wing or whatever it happens to be. But the rest of it requires that the child, starting with the right number, begin to connect the dots in order. And when you get through, you find, you discover the shape and what it's about. For the disciples, the discovery came when they could connect the dots, when they could put their hands in the dots, the wounds of Jesus' hand. When they could touch his side, they knew that the one who stood before them was in fact the one who had died on the cross, the one whom they knew had taught them and loved them. We can connect the dots when we see our own lives in it. When we are painted into the picture, of God's believers, what he wants of us. That's the way God works with his children. You know, I don't know why when we have the same experiences in our journey that we don't all become believers in the same way. Isn't that odd? You know, for some people, they have to have a lot more uh, convincing. They have to see more experiences, notice more of what's happened for others. Some come to believe easily. I find children often are so open. They're, they're ready like a book to be written in. And they hear what God is doing and they just want to say yes to him. Each year when I have confirmation classes, don't you know it's one of the those wonderful times of the year for me because I see children who's, who are open to what God is doing and they're, they're ready to believe. If we're not ready, they are. 
They don't know all of it yet. They're going to learn a lot more. And yes, there'll be ups and downs in their life, but something about that moment helps them move toward him. And they are compelled. We are meant to be compelled as witnesses ourselves to the miracle of what God is doing, except the fact that God doesn't require 100% certainty in order for us to go forward. What is that soap that's 99 and 44, 100% pure? Which one? Ivory? It's ivory soap? Even ivory soap has got room for something that's not pure. And God can work on us if we're not at 99%. God looks at us. He's looking for the other. He wants us to move beyond that doubt that often makes us worry. Is our doubt a about the mystery because, you know, the Christian faith is mysterious. There's something about it that's not logical. And I like this uh, saying someone wrote, said, faith is a mystery of the heart that the mind wants to solve. Faith is about the heart when we come to believe and the mind is trying its best to explain things that are not always going to be logical, not always going to be in their description what is right, and yet God works in, we say, mysterious ways. And we come to believe in him if we'll not doubt, if we'll move beyond that. Some of our unbelief is not rooted in a lack of knowledge or even the lack of logic in what we have. It's rooted in our uncertainty of what it's going to mean. What is God going to ask of us? What is he going to do with us? And if he asks that, can we, in fact, follow him? There is a way out of doubt. I bring up the subject of doubting. I think, well, I hope that you are here this morning to say, uh, I want to be clear in what I believe and how I believe my faith and how I'm going to live it. We have a doctrine called the doctrine of assurance. And to me, that's one of the founding principles of Methodism, uh, John Wesley discovered that, believes that we have an exper experiential faith. Uh, it's not a hand-me-down one from a different generation. It's something that you can know for yourself. And so we are reassured through our own experience. It's not something someone else simply tells us. And we find that God loves us in that way. There is, uh, when I was walking on the trail... And I had the doubts. I tell you, I had some experiences along the way in that doubt. First of all, when I was walking, I was uh, doubting whether or not I'd seen the right markers. And I doubted whether or not I had noticed when there was another trail going off and I'd gone the wrong direction. And what I doubted was the map I held in my hand. It seemed to tell me I was going the right way, but a couple of other things, which I'd learned to trust more than it, told me I wasn't. I wasn't seeing things I thought I should see. What are solutions? What are spiritual facts that will hold us in times of doubting? I want to share those for those with you. First of all, there's the spiritual fact we find in the scriptures that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's a anchor, a fact that we can know about ourselves. We don't stop with that one, though. We move on. For the wages of sin and death, the free gift of God, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we found another marker along the way. 
We know that not only what we are, but we know what God is already doing and what he can do for us. And we find, but God proves his love for us that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we have an answer, an answer to our doubts and our uncertainties of what God has done. And then we confess with our lips and we accept Christ as our Lord and we move beyond doubt into believing. Doubt is to me like wearing a mask that we hide behind in times because of what we're afraid of. Because if things become clear, then more is expected of us that God may begin to use us. The church is, to me, a community. And you know, it's good to see the community together. You reassure each other by doing that. You know, your presence next to another person says that I'm not believing alone. You're helping me at times to believe. I'm helping you at other times. That's what the church does. We're a community of believers that help each other in our times of struggles and doubts. No one claims to have all the answers all the time. I certainly don't. But we're looking together. And God's love is that real. There's room for us even in our times of doubt. But watch out for doubting. Because in some ways it may close us off to seeing what God is doing around us. We miss it. We fail to see. And God is open to us. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you for the miracle of believing itself. And we thank you that even our times of uncertainty, maybe because of struggles, when things have not gone our way, pains and sorrows have come our way, we're wondering if you love us and care for us, and yet we know you do. We find it often in those around us who will hug us, hold us, have compassion for us in your name. Help us through those doubts again into believing and finding in that yet the joy. Open us, Lord, as we share together in this time here that your spirit may move among us. In the name of Jesus, amen.